So as we begin this morning, I would encourage you, uh, the notes are a little different this morning. Uh, I would encourage you, first of all, to, to, to open your Bibles. Get them out, look at them. Take notes that you might, during the coming week, go back and look over this. One section in Acts says, you know what? They went and searched the scriptures to make sure that what they were told was true. And we always want to do that. We always want to get into the scripture, dig it out. So please, take notes. Follow along as you can with your scripture in the Bible. Hold it out there. Take it in. Understand what it says. Feed on it because Jesus Christ is that bread. He feeds us. He gives to us all the time. I read this quote out of a study Bible in, in a class that we're using on Acts this morning, and, and, and I thought it was very poignant because we make this, this mistake in making the Bible about Bible stories rather than a story for our life to live by. It says, we must not make the tragic spiritual mistake of teaching the experience of the apostles, but rather experience the teaching of these disciples, these apostles. Are we experiencing Christ this morning? We've been through the uh, first part of Acts or Luke, and, and we're going through it some more. We've touched on a lot of things, faith. We've touched on genealogies. We've touched on the reason why Christ is on this mission. And today just follows up some more on that as we, as we look at chapter 9 and we get into that. And this is about how people in different areas of life, whether it be in the Christian world or in the world, what was their response to Christ? What was the apostles' response to Christ? What was the disciples' response to Christ? And there's a difference as we kind of open this up and get into it of who was who. So that brings us down to what is our response to Christ. Are we responding to Christ in that positive step forward, take action motion? Or are we hesitant? And as we break down chapter 9, we see some of these hesitancies, some of these go forward and do it, and sometimes it's just in the middle. So as we break these out, I would encourage you to read through this with us as we go along this morning. I'm actually going to start in Romans 12 because it's very um, beneficial that this is where our hearts get to be. It says, a living sacrifice to God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
And we say the first thing is we can't be perfect. And yet, the scripture tells us we are perfect through Christ as we allow him, as we allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, that's where the perfection is. It isn't in this earthly body. It's in the spirit, and that spirit is God himself. And as we work through these things, we see that we fail so miserably at things, and yet the biggest failure of all is the fear of failure. We will never fail if we never do anything. If we don't step out, we will never fail. But failure can be such a great teacher at times to lift us up. We could go into many, many different uh, examples. Uh, Edison was a great example. After his 1,021 efforts, somebody said, don't you get tired of doing this, but it's the next time. Are we searching for that next time to put the word of Christ out there? To give him the glory? Or are we afraid to take that step? We can't be afraid of failure or we will never move. We will never step out. We will be standing right there. And sometimes we're standing right there when Christ returns. We want to be on that journey with Christ. Walking alongside. You know the great men of the Bible. There's always that words in there that says they walked with God. Are we walking or are we standing back? Again, as we delve into this, we will see that where hesitation sometimes can get us into trouble. The next verse we're going to go into is in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. Do we feel a passion, a concern for others? As these days we look at, look at our, our country today, are we wanting that next person, that next person to hear the good news of Christ? And take that step towards Christ. Or are we standing back? As we open up in chapter 9 of Luke. It starts out with Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. And gave them power and authority to cast out all demons. And to heal all diseases. So the first point right here is whose power is it? How much power do we as individuals have to do anything? How much power do we have to take the next breath? We don't. Every bit of that is given to us with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit only. He gives the power. He gives the gifts. He gives all. Do we accept that? Do we use it? 
And do we expand on it as he leads us? Or are we standing back? Moving forward with his power, they went out. They preached the good news. They healed the sick as the, as the, chapter, as the verses go on. And it says at the end of that little section in, in verse 6, So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing. Where are we at in that walk? What are we doing with that? We've got all this information right here. We have all of this information. Do we put it to good work for Christ? Do we put it to good work for Christ? The next section starts in chapter in verse 7. And, and we, we kind of step out of the realm here. And this is kind of placed in the center of this. But, it, but it's so poignant to, to the... Here's Herod. Herod has beheaded John. And he says, who is this? I thought I got rid of that. I thought we squelched that. Who is this out there? And I often wonder, are we confused also sometimes? Are we perplexed, as the verses say? Are we perplexed? I, I, I wonder, I look around today with that, and you look at our government that's in, in power right now, and, and the governments around the world, how perplexed they are when all they do is try to squash Christianity, Scripture, anything to do with this God, this Word, they like to put under. And yet, they just stand back in awe and wonder at how could this happen because it keeps surfacing. It keeps surfacing. Uh, an interesting little tidbit back in World War II there was a radio station that the Germans or the Russians, somebody shut down because it preached the gospel out into. And that's pretty opaque at the time. I mean, it, it wasn't clear. It, it was hard. And yet they were still preaching the gospel. And they shut that down and they burned it. There's a whole story behind it that it would never produce again. And as far as I understand the way the story goes... That building, that place, is a great distributor and printer of Bibles that go out through those third world nations. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. We can't squelch him. But there's also another thing that we have to look at from our side of the view. As we're watching this go on, are we perplexed that, wait a minute, Where's the word here? Why isn't God doing something? Why isn't he just taking this person out? Why isn't he doing this? I think we need to quit asking why God is or isn't doing something and trust him to be God. Trust him to be God. I was asked earlier this morning, uh, one of the verses that, that was read to me is, He is the God of all gods. 
And this person was just a little perplexed, a little set back with that. And yet, we have to see that no matter where God is at, He is the God of everything. And He is the God of every God we make. He is the God of every God we make. Because it's always God, big G, to God, little g. And the verse goes on, Lord of Lords. Again, capital L, small l. Because we can make a Lord out of just about anything. And we do. So don't be perplexed with our expectations of how the government or the world or something else might run. But go to God in prayer. And so many times we get caught up in God, fix them. Do this. Send that person. What did I say, say to the Lord? Here I am. Send me. Are we willing to take that step? Are we going to be the Isaiah of today? This is for us, folks. This word is for us. Are we going to take that step? And say, Lord, here I am. Send me. The next section we get into is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, and we see that here again. What's the response? What's the response of this? Uh, we pick up in, in uh, chapter 9, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Him is the Lord. Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. And this is a little verse right here that so many people skip over and they don't see the significance in it. Because they're looking at Christ. Here again, Lord, you do it. They'd seen miracles. They'd see things go on. But they didn't even ask for a miracle at that point. They just said, hey, send them away. Send them away. We've got to be very careful that we don't do that. Just send them away. Let them fend on their own. And yet Jesus' response right here in verse 12, Jesus looked at him and said, you feed them. You feed them. Wow. What's our response when Christ says, you go, you feed, you take care of, you be in the middle of this situation, you do it. What's our response? Are we there to, to get after it? Or do we turn? kind of to the side. I watched a movie the other day and, and it was it kind of fit into this because it was, it was not a football movie but they, they replaced they put into this movie this kid who was a great wide receiver but he was scared of getting hit. He was fast he had nimble hands but if the situation came and he caught the ball and he seen somebody coming after him, 
he would step out of bounds into that safe zone so he didn't get hit. And as I was preparing this, I thought, how do we do that as Christians? A lot of times, we step out there in the safe zone. We have that hiding spot. We don't want to get involved. We stand back rather than getting involved and say, well, we'll we'll pray for them. And that's very important. But the biggest part of prayer is action. Get involved. Step out. Do it. To the glory of God. To the glory of God. Not for our own benefit. Not for our own upstanding. Not to be in the limelight. In fact, the more we do this, says the lower we get. And that's where we want to be. We want to be looking up. So Jesus said, you go feed them. You feed them. But then he started giving them instructions. Here again, we go right back to the power of God. When you take action, who's there? Sometimes he boots us. Sometimes he guides us, just depending on where our minds are at. But he's always there. He's always faithful. He's always giving. So then our next section that we pick up is Peter's declaration about Jesus. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked him, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And others say you are the one. Other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked him, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And I often wonder, because I do, I do that myself as I'm alone in prayer. Do I question who God is? We looked at John the Baptist uh, last Sunday. And he says, are you the one? Are you the one? Are we questioning that God is the one for us? That he is the power? Or do we submit and give him the power and the glory? If we keep asking the questions, that's when that doubt starts rising in us. That's when that doubt starts building up. And it just takes, again, a little sliver of something to start driving that wedge in our relationship with Christ. So let's keep the wedges out. Let's go for the gusto and step out and be that follower of Christ. As we start in the next section of this, Jesus starts telling, getting them ready, building that up for the ultimate part of Christ's mission. And that's his death and resurrection. But all they're seeing in this is his death, his going away. This is the king of Israel that they're looking at. They haven't quite grasped it, and we'll dig into that in a minute. They're not quite grasping who Christ is yet. They've seen the miracles. They've been there. But Jesus is just gently starting to feed them with this. 
And, and as we go into that, we see that, that all of these things lead to one thing, and that's our salvation. Our salvation. All of this book is an example to us of how to live, how to act, how to serve, what to do, and what not to do as we delve into the Word, as it guides and leads us through the Holy Spirit. So, we, we look at um, verse 23 in there, 923. And this is, this is Jesus throwing this out there because this is where it hits home. This is that little punch to us of where we stand with Christ. And it said, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? But you've lost yourselves when you hang on to it. If anyone is ashamed of me, my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. So as we start to follow Christ, do we have an excuse why we can't go right now? Well, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough knowledge. All these I don't haves. And yet we have everything we need right here. The perfect guideline, the perfect roadmap to Christ Jesus right here. It's everything we need to know. Not to change it, not to subtract from it or add to it. Read it as it is. Use it as it is. For Christ Jesus. For Christ Jesus. The next section deals with the transformation. And I can't even fathom what that might have looked like. When those three apostles seen Christ and God the Father in this glorious light that no one can explain. Uh, Stephen, as he was being stoned, it says his face radiated like an angel. We can't even understand what that might look like. Because we look at the sun, we can't look at the sun. Can you imagine looking at the glow of Christ Jesus? What that really might look like? It's just got to be amazing. I don't understand it. I can't really fathom it because we can't see that part of God. We just can't. But oh, what a glorious wonder it is when that shines out of our hearts to other people. So as Jesus is transfigured, there's a lot of misconception sometimes of what the 
apostles were thinking. They, did, they didn't know what to say. They were dumbfounded. And yet God says, this is my son. This is my son. And yet his son came to save each one of us. His son came to be glorified. His son came to be Christ of all, King of all, Lord of lords. So as we go to the next section, uh, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. And, and, and this, again, it builds up. We've seen this happen before. But the verse I'm going to read is one that's not greatly expounded on. Because these are the verses in Scripture that we like to kind of skip over just a little bit. And that is verse 41 of Luke 9. And, and the lead up to this is, is uh, the man says, I begged your disciples to cast out the Spirit, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And we've seen this in other verses pointing this out. And Jesus said to them, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? That's a tough one, folks. That's a punch right in the stomach. Because we get that way at times. We just can't do it. Because we've, we've, we've relied on our own strength. We've relied on ourselves to get us through, and we just can't do it. And when we relinquish that power to the Holy Spirit, we see it in each one of these verses. The minute the Holy Spirit takes over, that's when things get done. But we are so reluctant, as, as the verses back then, we're so reluctant to let go of this life, of this flesh, we keep hanging on. And the Holy Spirit just wants to work through us. He said, let go. Let go. Get on your knees. and Let me do my work. Let me work it out. Because I can do it. The power and the authority of Jesus Christ. So in the next section as we get along, we see Jesus again. Here again, gently prodding the disciples, letting them know that he is then working with them and he is going to be betrayed. He is going to be put to death. And, and as we see that happen, we see that, again, they're not really clear. It doesn't seem that they're quite listening to what God says. It, it, they're not really grasping that he's telling them, he's warning them, he's getting them prepared. And that section down there, 37 through 45, uh, it, it's just really interesting because it, it's, uh, it's one of those things uh, that we look at and we go, hmm, they're right there. They're walking with Christ. Are they not listening? Because the next 
section the next verses pointed out. And that's verse 46. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. Wow. Are they missing the boat here? But are we missing the boat? What's our response to that? All of this is for us. This is speaking to us. Where are we at? What are we doing with this that God's giving us? Is he talking to us and we're just kind of selective hearing? Or are we truly getting into him and saying, okay, Lord, I'm listening. I'm awake. We talk a lot about praying. And that's great. But do we take the time to stop and listen? Do we take that time to just stop, put the brakes on, and listen? Because that's when God's talking to us. And that's when we'll hear him, is when we stop and open up our ears. Be a whole nother scenario if just those verses before the apostles would have just, oh, what's going on here? But no, what are they doing? They're thinking of themselves. They're thinking of themselves. Who's going to be the greatest? Rather than what he's been telling them all along, you need to be down here looking up. So then we get on it, and this just furthers it in the next little section. It says, using the name of Jesus. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. He isn't in our group. How often might we thwart the work of the Holy Spirit because we're, we're, we're somehow in this wisdom of ours, looking out and going, hey, that person's not a part of this. And Jesus said, don't. If they're for us, then they're not against us. So we need to be very careful, keep our sights on Christ. Make sure we put the good news out there. But don't thwart somebody else that's doing the same exact thing. In fact, the word tells us to encourage, to lift them up, to guide, to direct. And we see that also in the passages. Well, then teach them. Teach them. So then we get back to more opposition in the next section. Uh, but we see this coming because people are not understanding. And, 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 and I think it points out again to us. We can never leave us out of this. What do we do with opposition? Do we run to that safe zone? Do we go, oh, can't do that? I don't have the words for it. Well, I don't. But Christ does. Christ will be right there guiding us all along, if we just let him. Because I don't have the answer, but he does. The Holy Spirit does. God does. 
He's got the answer to everything. Then the next section, starting in verse 57 and 9. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. How many times have we said that to ourselves? No, Lord, you just lead and I'll be right there. But one little thing happens. And we're stepping into that safe zone. Well, you know, I didn't really mean it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll do that. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in. Birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. I can't imagine the times. God says, I need you to go death. Well, but I've got this to do. I've got to be over here. I don't have time. There's two different kinds of followers in this. We see the ones that's when Jesus said, follow me. And they took that step immediately. And then we get into this group, which I am a big part of. And he says, follow me. And I said, but wait a minute. I can do that tomorrow. I can do that tomorrow. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. It's interesting. We like to preach a lot of things. But through through this whole thing, teach and preach the kingdom of God. The good news, which is Christ Jesus. Because he says, I am the kingdom among you. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. How many times have we used family to get out of doing something? We don't like to admit that. I don't like to admit that, but I think I have. Oh, you know, my family needs me. And God says, but what about this person that I want you to go visit? What about this person or that person? And Jesus' answer to that, and, and, and some don't understand this if, you, if you've never farmed or something, but it says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Another harsh statement if you don't understand this. It's a harsh statement. Because God says he doesn't want us looking back. He wants us looking at him. And that's what that statement means. We can't be looking back all the time. We have to look at Christ. We have to be there for Christ. Because when we're looking back, that's time we've spent in the devil's realm. Because we are not looking at Christ. We are not looking at Christ. We are looking at something else. And that's the small G gods. That's the small G gods. Anything but Christ. So starting in chapter 10, again, it starts out with Jesus uh, sending out more disciples. And he's starting to set some ground rules. He's sending them out in twos. You know, and there's a lot of different, we could, we could spend a week of, 
of messages on just how and why Jesus sent people out in pairs. But it's so interesting how even in a group like this, to get together with somebody, to pray together, to lift each other up, it's great benefit when we make that too, and the third member makes that rope strong and unbreakable. That's where we want to be with Christ. We want to be together, lifting each other up, encouraging, praying with one another, praying together, being together, just, just doing that thing that just, yes, good job, good job, but remember where we're at. And remember who the Lord is. That's who we're worshiping. That's who we're praising. That's who we're thanking. But it's, it's interesting as we go through this little section, and it says, don't stop to greet anyone on the road. And we're going, that's kind of odd. That seems kind of rude, doesn't it? But what he's telling us is here, sometimes as we're on this mission that God has set us on, we've overcame those other obstacles in our lives, the families and all of this and the sickness and, well, I'm in a wheelchair, yada, 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 we got all these things. We've overcome them and now we're on the path. Now we're journeying, we're walking. And that stopping to greet someone says that, well, we got distracted. We got distracted and we started going this way. And that's why this indicates that when we're on the mission for Christ, then get to the mission. Get to doing it. Put it to work. Use it. Glorify God with it. And as that goes on, he just, he just, uh, he goes into some really disparaging accounts of shaking the dust off. And there's a lot, there's a whole vast thing we could get into with that. But as you read through this, and I hope you really do, I encourage you to go home and really take a good hard look at this. Just really get it into your hearts of what God is really saying to us. We can't skip over these parts. We can't just let them go. Because it's not the loving God that I know. We've just made another God. This is the God of the Bible. No matter what we think or do, we are not going to change that God. God is always going to be the same. He is going to be God. Accept it. Bow to it. Humble yourself to it. And surrender to it. Be transformed. As Romans 12 says, be transformed. Put yourself in that place right there with Christ. In that humble state of surrender, saying, here I am. Take me. We get into, uh, as Jesus sent these disciples out, and we skip down into 21, and it's just Jesus just, He's seeing these things going on. There's fruit starting to happen. And Jesus is just praising his Father in heaven. He's praising him because then he knows that, hey, this is really working. These people are starting to listen. They're starting to come around. And, and you know, all through this, you know, uh, I've got to back up with as, as Jesus is praying. But, you know, so often 
we go back to uh, uh, 10.2, and it says, this is where it it's really gets interesting. It came all around because Jesus is praising God. But so many times, here, here again, we go back to the prayer life, and as we pick up in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 10, it says, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. It's so interesting that so many times we're praying for the fields. God here says, no, the fields are out there. They're ripe. I need people to go out and pluck them. And so many times we say, well, Lord, we're going to pray for that next person because they're a better harvester than I am. But I'll pray for them. I'll even support them financially. I'll hold them up and I'll pat them on the back. God says, no. Back to Isaiah. Here I am. Take me. So then the next section we get into and, and we start at verse 25. One day an expert in religion law stood up and tested Jesus by asking him in this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Here again, we're looking to God. Can I buy it? Can I go to the post office and pick it up? Where's, where's it at? What can I do? And what can we do to inherit Christ? Are we good enough? No. It's just surrender to Christ. That's the salvation in that. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, there's not two different sections. It's all the same. Because we can't love God and not love our neighbor. And we can't love our neighbor and not love God. It don't work. It's one. It's together. That's God. He's all one. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And then that morphs right into the Good Samaritan. And we've heard the story over and over and over again. We teach it to the kids and we tell each other and we got all of these little stories that go along with it. But do we live this out? Do we put it to work in our lives to truly trust Christ, to truly be the good Samaritan to all? And this is not, we so much do it as far as giving financial aid, giving food, giving this. But are we reaching out to people and really giving them the bread of life? Are we reaching out and giving them the word of God, the good news? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. The good news. Are we putting it out there? Or do we falter in that? Do we fall back? Do we kind of give way to something else? I would encourage you to get into this word. Eat it up. And just be that righteous man. 
Who's the good neighbor? You know, it's easy to look around the room and say, Oh, I love that person. Oh, I love that person. Oh, I love that person. Love that person out on the street who may not be the nicest individual. Love that person. Pray for them. Reach out to them. We will never fail if we stand back and do nothing. But if you fail at doing God's word, doing his work, guess what? That was just us. God will never make that a failure. Ever. Because God will lift it up. But we've got to be looking at Christ when we're doing it. We've got to be looking at Christ when we're doing it. As we move further along, and this sums up so much of where Christ is at, and he uses one little incident to really poke us hard, to really just put it in there and say, okay, where are you at? As Jesus and disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, this is verse 38 of chapter 10, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. I see a lot of smiles. I see a lot of head shakes because guess what? Here again, we want somebody else to do it. Or we want help rather than looking at Christ. We overlook sometimes. And then we get to the real heart of all of this. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, isn't that the Lord, though? He says, oh, dear Ben, you're such an idiot. But let me help you through this. Let me help you here. You are worried and upset over all the details. Again, when we're asked, do we start digging out the details? Well, I've got to do this. Well, I've got to do that. Well, I've got to move here. I've got to pull this out. I've got to get the car ready. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Or when Christ calls us, do we just go? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. Have you discovered what Christ can do? Are you at his feet continually? And that's where we need to be is at the feet of Christ. We need to be on our knees in surrender to Christ, worshiping, giving glory, and thanking Christ continually every time for that wonderful, wonderful message, the good news. Mary has discovered it, and it will not taken away from her. Be confident in Christ. Reach out to him. Touch him and let him touch you.
let him touch me for the glory and wonder of Jesus, precious Savior. What a stirring passage you've given us this morning, as all they are. As I was talking to another individual, we just kept pointing out verse after verse, sentence after sentence, word after word, and say, oh, this is the one. This hit the spot. Oh, this is the one. This one hit the spot. And yet every word, every word is so true. Every word hits the spot with us when we're looking to you. Father, as we go about this day, as we go about this week, may we listen, may we learn, may we follow you. Follow Jesus Christ, the one who gave up everything for me. Lord, we praise you.